Well, we're going to take a break from Luke today as we celebrate Father's Day and really think about the legacy of what our Heavenly Father has done for us, but also what it means what our fathers did and our grandfathers did to leave a legacy in our lives and how we're hoping to do the same. I mean, imagine that you're walking down the road, walking down the hall at work, and somebody comes running up behind you, taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, 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 I got to tell you something. What? An angel was talking to me the other day. An angel? Yeah, yeah. An angel was talking to me the other day about you. And an angel mentioned your legacy by name. Imagine leaving a legacy so strong that angels mention it. Imagine a legacy so important that it ends up in the Bible for generations to read about. Imagine a legacy so significant that your name and your legacy is used by name in the throne room of heaven. It's exactly what happens in a well-traveled passage in Luke that will set us up for our Father's Day message today. And it's a passage you know well. Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth and he went to what? The city of David, which is also called Bethlehem. And then the angels appear to the shepherds and all heaven breaks loose and they begin to say, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. They reference the city of the legacy of this man named David in the throne rooms of heaven. Don't you want to have a legacy that angels and heaven declare and celebrate? But what is this legacy? And how can we leave that legacy? Because it's certainly not that David did everything right, correct? He even made a lot of mistakes. But on his deathbed, he's laying there and the time of his death is coming to a close. And he calls for Solomon. Someone bring me Solomon. Solomon comes to him and he passes on his legacy. He says, Solomon, prove yourself a man. Then he defines what it is to be a man. Get to know the Lord your God. Serve others as he serves others. Walk in his ways. Walk in his statutes. Walk in his commandments. Live your life to serve and protect and build a great city worthy of everyone in it. And you will fulfill a promise God gave to me. That one of my sons would sit on the throne. And if he walked in truth and in grace and in sincerity of heart, he would be prosperous in everything he did. That's a legacy. And he set up incredible spiritual, incredible formative relational And even some resources to prepare Solomon for what he would do to continue that legacy. I was reading some uh, interviews with just CEOs of of companies who talked about how their fathers had impacted them. One of them was a woman named Dana Marlowe. She said, when I was just starting my IT consulting firm, Accessibility Partners, my best lesson came from my stepfather. Her stepfather left a legacy to her. All along, my stepfather told me two words, everything counts. 
And she goes on to say, those two words affected the whole way I thought about my business, from caring for clients I've had for a while to new clients, to thinking about the details and excellence. My stepfather inspired me to think about legacy as making everything count. I saw another uh, quote from a woman who spoke about her father's impact on her in the building of her business. She said, my dad was a great asker of questions. He taught me that no matter how sure I was of my own decisions, that I would benefit from asking others for their thoughts. My father taught me to welcome other points of view as a way to not only hone my own thought process, but in order to gain additional perspective. These are fathers, stepfathers, who left a legacy, putting confidence and inspiration and value of humility and teachability into young entrepreneurs. But we're going to find a rather unusual concept in this final days of David's life we look at today, the man who leaves a legacy called the city of David. We're going to find that you can be somebody who builds your own legacy, and there's some satisfaction in building your own legacy. But building your own legacy will never be as satisfied. You'll never be as satisfied being a builder of a legacy as you are an ambassador of a legacy. A builder of a legacy will never be as satisfied as an ambassador of a legacy. And there are two characteristics we're going to look at today of what it looks like to be an ambassador of a legacy, not just a builder of one. And what's the difference? Well, think of a king. A king is always thinking about expanding his kingdom, his reign, his legacy. But ultimately, everything he does, it's really about himself. So into his legacy is always, what will people remember me by? What will I be remembered by? Will this make me look good? Built into a king is the assumption that it's all about him. But imagine that king has an ambassador. He says, I want you to go into the land, and I want you to take the values of my kingdom serving others, protecting others, caring for others, loving others. And I want you to expand the reach of my kingdom as far as it can go so people know about the principles of my kingdom, love and peace and joy. You now as an ambassador of the kingdom are motivated to expand the kingdom, not to make yourself look good, but to make the king look good. Your everyday actions, your everyday works are connected now to a grander vision and a grander purpose. And that's why an ambassador will always be more satisfied than a builder. Because woven into his motivation or her motivation is not that self-evaluation or self-exaltation. That's exactly what David does. Because for years, David has built a kingdom and built a city that was really about advancing God's kingdom. Showing the world what a kingdom based on God's principles and God's love and care, God's concern for the poor, God's desire for justice for all looks like. What does a city look like as a, a city on a hill shining forth God's kingdom? David has been an ambassador of God's kingdom his whole life. But he makes a shift in this passage. From being an ambassador of God's kingdom to beginning to build his own castle. And how do you know the difference between whether or not you're being a builder or an ambassador of a legacy? Well, two questions. The first question is, what's your motivation? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 24, 
After years of serving God's kingdom, expanding God's kingdom, the king turns to his buddy Joab, a general that's been with him for many, many years, and says, you know, I've been thinking the other day, I need to know the number of people in the kingdom. Now, if you look at Chronicles, Chronicles tells us that God was angry at Israel because they began to move away from him, but they don't give a lot of details. St. Chronicles mentions that this temptation for David actually came from Satan or from the adversary. But he's not being tempted to kill somebody like Uriah. He's not being tempted to, to lust like with Bathsheba. No, he's being tempted to define himself by a number. And so he says to Joab, I need to know how many fighting men I have. Which doesn't seem like a bad thing to do. You want to know how many military you serve. You want to know what your number is. But something's unusual about this number. Something's unusual about his motivation has changed. And it's picked up by his general. Because when he says, I need to know the number of the people who are in my fighting force, his general, his buddy who's been with him for many years says, David, why? Why does my lord the king desire this? What's, What's motivating this? We've always trusted God. You're now making this number as if you're trusting the number of our troops to define your success. Or or maybe you're thinking that the number of troops makes you a little bit better or higher king than than kings of the, the neighboring areas that have smaller numbers of troops. I'm not sure what's going on here, but somewhere in here your motivation has changed and it's become about you. Look what he says. I may know the number. David's become an opera singer. Me, 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 me. The kingdom's not about expanding God anymore. It's about me. And in that, his motivation is going to get God's attention, who sees that under a simple request of a number is really a shift from advancing God's kingdom to building his own castle. About a year ago, I sat down with an old friend of mine. He's in his 60s. He said, Chad, I just realized as I look back over my career and my marriage and my relationships, a lot of what I've done, sadly, a lot of what motivated me was me. I blew up a marriage because it was about me. I'm in my second marriage now, and I realize I got young boys in my new marriage, and I've got some women I'm not sure will ever trust men because of what I did in my first marriage. And I want to make the next 10, the next 20 years of my life not about me, but about building something that's about God. He said, look back at the companies I built, and those companies were really all about me. And when I left, the companies went downhill because I made it all about me. And I am absolutely committed that for the next 10 years, as I continue to build this organization, it was going incredibly well. He said, this time's going to be different. I'm going to advance an organization that's not about making me look good or highlighting me. It's about creating an organization that serves people and expands and outlives me. He'd move from being a builder to an ambassador of something bigger than himself, tied to the values of God. What's your motivation for why you live? Your desire for legacy. And then secondly, what's your matrix? What's the metrics, for, as a better way to say it, what's the metrics you're going to use to determine success? Because it's very interesting what happens here in the passage. The metrics used here 
by David is that David really believes that there's a number that can satisfy his soul. If I could just get the right number to come back of the number of fighting men around, I will be satisfied. So sure enough, the voice of the king prevailed, it says. Joab says, you don't want to do this. I don't think this shows that you're trusting God. There's something unusual here. I want it anyway. Go do it. And it says, the voices of all his captains. The king's voice prevailed against Joab the general and against all the captains. No, 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 no. Something's wrong here. Warning, warning, warning. But their people under submission. So Joab and the captains of the army went out to count the people. And they did. Two, ah, 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 ah. 300,000, ah, 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 400, 500, and he gets to 800,000 fighting men in Judah, and 300 and something thousand men, 800,000 in Israel, and 500,000 men, and they bring the number back, we got the number for you, and immediately he gets the number And he's condemned. His heart is condemned. Why? Why would the very number that he's been seeking after bring condemnation? Because that's really what's going on in this passage is he's defined himself by a number. And here's the thing. We all have temptations to do this. If I could just get my savings account to that number, I'd be happy. And you get to that number, it's a good number. But you don't realize how deep your soul is if you think that a number can satisfy it. The number of clients, the number of sales this quarter, the number of of savings in your savings account, the number of money you give away, all of these are nice things, but they will not satisfy your soul. And you reduce your soul by defining yourself as a number. And that's why your metrics needs to be looked at. Do you really think there's a number of sales, a number uh, uh, that can actually satisfy the deep, immaterial nature of who you are? Because that number, you say, if I could just get my quarterly numbers to that number, I'd finally make it. I'd finally be satisfied. And then you know what happens, right? You hit that number, it becomes the new norm. You now got to hit that number every quarter. And you feel the pressure, the condemnation, the fear. Can I keep that number up? Think about the stuff we number. We number clients and savings accounts and things like that. And then as we grow older, we we begin to number different things, don't we? As we think about legacy. The number of kids, the number of grandkids. And then we begin to transition and realize how frail we are as we begin to count other numbers. Like, what's your blood pressure number? (laughs) Or maybe you define yourself by a number of weight if you tell yourself, if I could just get to that number, I'd be happy. And then you get to that number, then you're under the pressure and condemnation of, oh, I better not gain any weight. I finally made it. It's the new norm. It's the pressure. I am, whether or not I'm that number. Then it gets to the point in your life you've been counting the number of hairs you've lost. And then it becomes the number of hairs you have left. And what God is going to tell David is that you are so much more than a number. I had some uh, medical tests done recently because I, I just turned 45 and as I think about being Quinn's dad for the next 20 years, he's only getting bigger and stronger and I realize I don't need to just be healthy, I need to be optimal as I look at the next 15 years. And so we got some blood work done and overall looked good but some two kind of scary things came back and, and those numbers grab my attention and those numbers 
reminded me that I'm more than a number. I don't want to define myself by that number or what a number I need to get to. But God, I want to be operating as your, I want to be an ambassador of the kingdom you've given me to, to take care of my family, to take care of my, my, my special needs son that's going to need me for a long, long time. God, this is about building up and me being at my optimal. It's me being optimal so I can be an ambassador of what you've called me to do. But the second characteristic of this is so counterintuitive that it sounds wrong until it goes deeper. And here's the second characteristic I want you to think about as the, the passage begins to unpack itself. A satisfying legacy can only be built by not focusing on building it. What? A satisfying legacy can only be built by not focusing on building it. Why? Because when you, feel, when you focus on building your legacy, you have automatically entwined into it that it's about you. By not focusing on building your legacy, but being an ambassador of someone else's legacy, you can build it as big and wide, but it's not about you. It's about advocating what someone has sent you to do. In fact, the word legacy is a 14th century word that means exactly that. It's a body of persons sent by someone on a mission. It's where we get the concept legacy is an ambassador, a, a deputy, an envoy, someone who is sent or commissioned by someone else, appointed as a deputy, an appointment by last will. And that is where Christianity offers a unique way to have a satisfying legacy. Because now instead of focusing on building your own legacy, you say, God, what have you sent me? What have you got me? Why am I here this long? Why am I living this long? What have you called me to do in this neighborhood, in this place? And you begin to tap and tie your normal everyday activities to a higher kingdom. And all of a sudden, all work has value because whatever you do, Colossians tells us, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be an ambassador of a kingdom where you live as a dad, as a mother, as a friend. And because in Christ you are defined by your heavenly father as far more than a number. You are fully forgiven, fully loved, fully redeemed. And in that security and rest you can now pursue high numbers without being defined by a number. Your identity is not that number. That number is a way in which you're advocating or expanding or being sent by the king. And David's going to have to wrestle with that. And he's going to have to wrestle with that in a very real way. How? Well, look what happens next in the passage. Joab says to the king, no, see, he tells him numbers aren't the problem. David, I hope, may God expand your numbers by a hundredfold. I'm all for more people experiencing the kingdom. But I want to pray that, that you may see it. May the eyes of my Lord the King see it. See what? See your motivation. I'm not sure what's motivating you to do this census and count is what you think it is. I do not think it means what you think it means. The number comes back. He gets the number. And he leads to distress. Incredible distress. So much so that God's going to judge him. 
Let me give you two examples of how not focusing on a legacy can actually leave a greater legacy. Todd and Lisa had just gotten married. She was pregnant. He was on his way to a business trip. He got on the airplane. He was flying over on this business trip. Tragedy struck. Terrorists took over the plane. In that moment, he didn't think, I hope I'm known. How could I do something today that will make me look good 10 years from now? No, he just knew that people need to be protected, and he was there, and he might have the unique opportunity to protect people. He gathered together with the people around him, and he prayed the Lord's Prayer. He got on the phone with his wife, his pregnant wife. said, honey, I can't sit here and do nothing. God, help me, Jesus. To protect the innocent, let's roll. And he became famous as Todd Beamer, the man who fought the terrorists and took that plane down and kept that third plane from running into another building, saving thousands of lives. And he built that legacy not by thinking to himself, how could I be famous? How could I have a legacy? But by saying, God, what would you call me to do in this circumstance right here and right now? He built a satisfying legacy by not focusing on building his own legacy. David is back to focusing on himself. And when that number shows up, bad things happen. So much so that God sends the prophet Gad to go and tell him, all right, you're about numbers? I got some numbers for you. You've stopped depending on me, and you think that a number of soldiers is better than having me as your source of power. So Gad comes to him and says, all right, God's got three numbers for you. It's an interesting parenting technique of a dad to a, a son who's in trouble. He says, you got three choices. Choice number one, based on what you've done, seven years of famine. You like that number? You're all about numbers, huh? Choice two. Three months of being pursued by your enemy and you're going to be chased all over the place again like you used to when you were young. Ugh. Choice three, three days of pestilence or plague. You're all about numbers? I'll give you some numbers. And David has A, B, or C and he chooses D. He says, God, as I think about my life, I've screwed up so many times. This is another example of me putting something in place of you. I put a number in place of you. Father, you've been so merciful to me with Bathsheba and what I did with Uriah. God, I'm going to fall into the hands of a merciful God. You choose because I know you'll be merciful than whatever choice I make. So the choice is made. It ends up God chooses C. A plague, a plague breaks out. And that plague brings incredible distress. Because David begins to see the great distress that occurs when he defined himself and his kingdom by a number. And he, he says, but God, I, I want to fall into your hand. That the consequence of my decision can affect many people. But I just want you to be merciful. So a plague comes upon Israel and 70,000 men of the people died. And a man who started his life saying, I'm all about a number. Because of focusing on that number, his numbers actually went down. And a plague is released. And every time you put something in the place of God, I promise you a plague will be released. You, you put all the pressure on your marriage that's going to define you, you'll crush your marriage. You'll release a plague into your marriage because your marriage cannot be your God. You make work your God and some number in work your God and it will destroy your health. It will destroy your marriage because that number you need to get to in your workplace will release a plague into the other things you care about. 
Here's an example. I know you've never done this, but here's how I'll, I'll get up one day and say, hey, I really today, I really want to bless my wife. How can I serve Beth? What would she want me to do? And so I'll go day, do one of those and maybe do one of these things and help out with that thing. And then she walks in the door. She didn't notice. She didn't notice how much I served her. She didn't notice how much I prioritized her thing. So what do I do? I bring it to her attention. Honey, did you notice that I did this thing that you want? Did you notice that I prioritized the thing you did? And in that moment, all of a sudden, I release a plague. And the plague is, did you really do this to serve me? Because you're making this a lot about you. Oh. And not that I don't need appreciation, not that it's not okay to ask for it, but it's interesting that you release a plague that says it really wasn't about serving you, it was about using this to get myself some accolades. You release a plague. In this case, it's a big plague. And it affects the numbers. And it, it reminds David of the consequence of self-centeredness, that when you make it about you, people you care about get hurt because you transferred from being an ambassador of God's kingdom to a builder of your own kingdom. And David's like, how do I get back? How do I switch and get back to that satisfying legacy God has for me? And it's as simple as connecting what you're doing to your motivation. It's connecting. What God says here is to connect your plans to the higher purpose of being an ambassador of his legacy rather than a builder of your own legacy. So here's what David does. It's fascinating. He says, I, I got to get right with God. I got to apologize. I, there, there's innocent people being hurt by what I have done. I have got to make a petition and sacrifice to the Lord to repent of what I have done, of, of taking a census, of putting a number above God. See, he runs over and he talks to a man who owns this piece of property. He says, I want to buy that property from you. He's like, what for? I got to offer a sacrifice to the Lord because I got to rescue innocent people. I see his switch already. He's not focusing on his number, but on rescuing other people. He's back to doing what God called him to do. David says, I want to buy the threshing floor from you, and I want to buy it to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague will be withdrawn from the people. He's focused on others again, God's legacy again. The king says to Uriah, I want to buy this for you at a price. Uriah says, no, I'll give it to you if that's what it's for. He says, no, 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 no. I don't want you giving it to me. I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And now a man who is so focused on numbers, the people are going down and now his reservoir of gold and silver is going down because he's willing to give of his own resources, give of his own time, give of his own life in order to rescue other people from a plague. He's back to being an ambassador of a legacy. And that plot of land he bought is pretty darn significant. This piece of land that he buys, you'd think it'd be like, hey, I want to cover that up. I don't want people to know about that piece. That was like a dark time in my life. A lot of people died because of my decisions. It's like, you know, my weaknesses, let's pretend that never happened. Instead, God will use this spot, Judgment Mountain, that he buys and it will be known through history as Mercy Mountain. That God can be merciful to us when we prioritize something over him. God can be merciful in extending a legacy that angels will one day sing about and talk about because God showed mercy at his moment of most weakness as a man. That place he bought is known as Mount Moriah. 
you don't recognize Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah at the top of Mount Moriah is where Abraham climbed up with Isaac. This is the very spot, the very mountain that David is at. In the same place that Abraham found mercy, where his son, his only begotten love son, did not die, but got a scapegoat in the shrubbery to take his place, to take judgment on behalf of his son, because he was asked, will you prioritize God or your family? He chose God. David now has the same decision on the same mountain. And David will then turn to his son and say, Solomon, God told me I couldn't build a temple, but I want you to build a temple. Where do you want to build it in all of Israel? You build it right here where I made my biggest mistake. Right here where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. Right here where the cost of my self-centeredness lost 70,000 lives. I want this to be a constant reminder that God can offer mercy rather than judgment. And so on this piece of land at Mount Moriah, Jerusalem is built. And not just Jerusalem, but the temple Solomon ends up building right on that location. Fast forward a thousand years. And where that temple was built, a bigger temple will be built from Solomon's temple, Herod's temple. Same location that Abraham was, same location that Isaac was, same location that David was, same location that Solomon built, same location that Herod built. And there will be an ultimate mercy mountain when the ultimate son of David will come. He will be crucified. He'll be walked right down through the city outside of the gates of that first century and he will be crucified right there on Mercy Mountain. A reminder that God can absorb the judgment of whatever idol, whatever thing you've put in front of him, whatever number you've made more important than him. He came and he died for that and he left a legacy by not focusing on leaving a legacy but by giving of his life and giving of himself and saying, I'm going to leave a legacy that's going to change the world by not making it about me. Not my will, but yours be done. I've come to serve, not to be served. You find your life by losing your life. It is better to give than it is to receive. And the ultimate legacy is left in the ultimate location of legacy by a man who chose to show you what God is like, who leaves the most satisfying legacy and invites you into that legacy on Mercy Mountain by connecting his plans and his acts and his servitude to the kingdom of God. So what does it look like for you to live your life the same way? I talked to a good friend of mine 15 years ago. He said a crisis point in his marriage and he said, you know, the kids were heading off to college. We'd taking them all out through high school, and I realized my marriage wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I, was, I had a number. The number of fights we had, the number of years I put up with this, the number of years I haven't been happy, the number of times we're not making love, the number, the number, the number. And I was ready just to sort of wipe my hands of my marriage. And I had an older man came into my life and said, don't you give up yet. Don't think this is about you and your number and building your own castle and building your own life. You're an ambassador in your marriage of God's kingdom and you are called to protect and love to death do you part and you need to fight because you are just at the, the cusp 
of a legacy and a kingdom that God's going to open you with kids and grandkids. This is not the time to give up. This is the time to connect your difficulty and your challenge to the higher calling God has for you in this relationship. That's 15 years ago. Talked to him this week. I noticed on Facebook he had a picture of a dock down by his lake house. And over the years, I've seen pictures of his family, he and his wife and their kids. And then their wives and a couple spouses got added to the dock. Then a first grandchild got added to the dock. A couple other grandchildren got added to the dock. And a couple other grandchildren got down to the dock. And, and this last week, he posted on his Facebook post, I might need a bigger dock. And he said, I am so glad that somebody challenged me 15 years ago to connect my challenging, relational, difficult stage of life to see what God might use to expand my kingdom to leave a legacy of staying power, a legacy of impacting generations because of the type of sacrificial give in order to receive love that I want to have in my marriage. What does it mean your business to connect it? Do you remember Les Mis? Do you remember, he was a prisoner for many, many years, and it was that priest who said, when he stole the silver from the priest, and he was going to go back to prison, the, the priest said, no, 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 I, I give you the silver so you won't be condemned again and go back to prison. And he says this, he says, with this silver, I ransom your soul from evil and make you a new man. And Jean Valjean takes a new identity, a new name, he becomes a businessman, he builds a business, and he's counting, there's a lot of things that count in a business, but he says, I'm going to make my business about helping the people where I was. I want to help serve and provide jobs and care for, I'm not just running a business, I'm, I'm working with eternal beings made in the image of God, and I want to serve them and care for them and help them, and I want to connect what I'm doing as a business owner to the higher kingdom of God. This week I got a chance to visit to folks in our church who were building a company with multiple brands. I hadn't been there in about seven years and I got to see one of the things that they, in building the brands, they really wanted to build brands and they wanted to connect that to hiring folks who were working poor who couldn't get jobs. But about seven or eight years ago, they had somebody who came to them who was a felon and said, I can't get hired anywhere. Are you willing to hire a felon? And they said, well, we'll, we'll think about it. And, and they gave them the first chance. They developed a whole system and matrix to make sure they were prepared and to make sure that, that this you know, might work temporary into permanent. And as they've done the matrix, they found that these felons who nobody would hire are not only good workers, they're their best workers. And they went from saying, let's do a 1 in 10 ratio to why don't we hire all felons? Because the matrix show that they're better workers than the ones who don't because they realize they've been given another chance. Somebody's believing them. They can be a dad again. They can be a, a mom again. They can provide again. They can have hope again. In fact, the matrix they've created now, they went from hiring 10 people to 90 people. And, and now the matrix of this small company has so impacted the community that larger companies are saying, tell us more about that. And all of a sudden, the city is being impacted by not just serving not just helping, not just building great brands, not just building a business, but saying, how can I use my business? How can I use my opportunities to expand the greater kingdom? To serve and to offer hope. I mean, don't you and I want a legacy and prosperity that heaven sings about? Because this location right here is what will be known in heaven and the Bible as the city of David. So much so that David 
on his deathbed will turn to his son and say, Solomon, prove yourself a man by walking in the ways of God and you will be prosperous in all you do. You'll leave a legacy that will go through history because it's about serving God's legacy, not building your own. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredibly weird story that reminds us of something that's in all of our hearts. God, thank you for being such a great father. Thank you for teaching us how to be a great father. Thank you for showing us we don't have to hide our shame, hide our weaknesses, but we can boldly declare in Christ all is forgiven, past, present, and future, and because of that, Mercy Mountain can be the mountain we build our identity on because it's not about us. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for being here. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you all next week. Mm -hmm.